0: So I just would like to uh, welcome our brother, Charles Montgomery. He is kind of bringing this chapter to a close. And uh, he is teaching pastor at Vineyard Church in Columbus, Ohio, and a professor at Ohio University teaching leadership. Uh, I actually have not known Charles personally until now, so I watched various videos of him online. And I've never seen a preacher work so hard uh, work up a sweat for the sake of the gospel, and uh, it's, a, it's an honor to invite him to this work here today. Will you welcome our brother, Charles Montgomery? Well, certainly multiplied grace and peace to you, let me express my appreciation to my friend and my brother J.R. Roscoe and the entire team at this conference, would you give God praise for them? They've done such an amazing job. We appreciate you so much. Also want to salute um, the Alfred Street Church. They have just rolled out the plush red carpet of Christian hospitality, and I just thank them um, so much. So we give God praise for them as well. At the same time, I too thought that JR was my friend because he put me up after all of these uh, powerhouse presenters um, and then gave me the amiable task of standing between you and the benediction. Thanks, man. I appreciate you (laughs) very much, but I do want to very briefly be faithful, be faithful to my assignment. My assignment is to talk today uh, along with Pastor Tara Beth about the sending of the church. And in order to fulfill that, I wanna quickly call your attention to Acts, the 10th chapter. I'm gonna drop anchor on verse number nine. There you'll find some words that read on this wise. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Let's drop down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I want to put a tag on this text in closing this chapter of Missio Alliance. Talk upon the theme and upon the subject, mission impossible. Mission impossible possible. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective heart are acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, for you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the privileges I enjoy in reading my Bible is that the Bible allows me to get up close and personal look at the lives of people who walk with God. And I'm totally dependent upon that privilege in order to draw through uh, comparison what is expected of me in perpetuating the ministry of the Lord to this present generation. In pastoral preparation for this message, it dawned on me that God's main intention in human history is to reunite himself with a world that is estranged by sin. And peppered throughout the pages of scripture, the peculiar thing is that God chooses to accomplish this mission of reconciling himself with the world through the faithfulness of people like you and me. The human dimension of God's activity in the world is a marvelous thing. In fact, many people have asked, why doesn't God just zap the world and make into the world what he wants it to be? And though that might have its appeal to those wishing, it, it's really a misunderstanding of what God is trying to do for God has revealed himself as a relational being and at the heart of his redemption process is the reestablishment of a relationship with fallen humanity. And the instrument he chooses to do that with is the church. That's what makes this session of Missio Alliance so significant. For each day, we've, we've intimately studied an aspect of the anatomy of the church. Her, her biblical nature. Her, her character, her, her witness. And now, this morning, her, her mission, the sending of the church to impact the world. And we've seen this, have we not, in sundry snapshots of scripture. Like Matthew chapter 10, behold, I am sending you as sheep among wolves. And later on, Matthew, that, that, great, that great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 and 8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has become upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what makes this so fascinating is that the God that we serve has the unmitigated goal to to relay this mission to a ragtag group of disciples You remember them, don't you? Whether your fondness is of James and John, the Sons of Thunder, or Matthew, the regenerated income tax extortioner, (laughs) or even Mary Magdalene who ran from the Holy Sepulchre on the fresh winds of an Easter morning to share the good news that Christ is alive. They were all sent out by the master on mission. Perhaps the most passionate about this mission may have been the Apostle Peter, In fact, Peter was so passionate about that that he preached about Christ's mission with such Pentecostal fervor that some 3,000 souls were saved in the city of Jerusalem. Yet in order for Christ's mission to be fulfilled, the gospel had to be carried beyond the confines of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth because God's chief desire, remember, is for the world to be reconciled to him, I believe. This is a principle, Missio, that Luke is trying to illustrate in our text today. For here in Acts 10, again, Luke shines the spotlight on Simon Peter. You all know the story. Peter has traveled up to the house of Simon the tanner, who is the owner of the house he's residing, and there upon the roof, Peter goes up to pray, and I've always found it uh, interesting, Rich, that that this was the place where the Bible says that Peter went up to pray there upon the rooftop, where he could look up and and meditate upon the vastness of our God by looking at the heavens above, but but then he could also on the roof look down and, and see the people in the city and all those who were standing in the need of prayer. And this action of looking up and looking down, you might say, is the precursor of what happens as Peter begins to pray. For appearing upon the canvas of his mind, he sees the vision of a large sheet being let down from the heavens above, uh, the earth below, and on this sheet are all of God's creatures, great and small. All of the animal kingdom is represented. This is the vision that Peter sees. But not only does he see a vision from God, He also hears a voice from God. And the voice instructs Peter to rise and to kill and to eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that. For I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. You must understand, my beloved, that Peter was a a staunch Jew. He adhered to a strict kosher diet. But here God is calling him beyond his culinary restrictions beyond his, his customs and, and beyond his culture. And for Peter, this is confusing. He says, God, you know who I am. You know my, my customs and, and my culture and my, and my restrictions. The differences in our denominational doctrine, that stuff is impure. That stuff is unclean. And God says, don't call anything impure that I have made uh, clean, and, and this exchange happens not one, not two, but, but three times, emphasizing there's a message that God really wants Peter and God wants us to understand. But when the vision ends and the sheet is taken up, Peter is still perplexed. I mean, he's puzzled. There, There's a protest in his spirit because for Peter, this is not just an issue of diet. This is an issue of identity. You see, the cultural customs of his ethnic group, just like the cultural customs of all of our ethnic groups, just don't tell us what we like. It tells us who we are. In other words, it gives all of us a sense of identity. And so Peter was saying, you don't understand who I am. I am with people who eat like this and who talk like this, who live in this place. I could never do that because it would make me not even know who I am anymore. So Peter says, God, you're asking me to do something that's against everything that I stand for. You're asking me to engage in an exercise I can't possibly visualize myself doing. You're asking me to do something that seems impossible. Permit me to ask you, has God ever asked you to do anything that seems impossible? Folk are hating on you, but God says love them anyway. When you're called to encourage others, but you're in need of encouragement yourself. I just wanna talk to the real folk today. Where God says help the pastor build God's house, but the truth be told, it's taking all you've got just to keep yours together. When God calls you as a lady in leadership, but a patriarchal society doesn't even recognize you as an equal. I'm talking about when, when your heart is broken, and yet God commissions you to minister to somebody else and do it while smiling through your tears. Has God ever asked you to do something that seems impossible when God has called you to be an agent of reconciliation but the very color of your skin is a threat to somebody else? But yet, let me just move under the skin for a moment. When God calls us as postmodern disciples to awaken, But when you think about America's dysfunction and the demonic forces that conspire to divide us instead of unite us, it makes you feel like we're living a collective nightmare. I'm just trying to get you to understand where Peter is. Peter says, you're asking me to do something that goes beyond my doubts and beyond what I believe myself to be. You're asking me to do something that is against what my ancestors have taught me and model for me, you're asking me to do something that seems impossible, don't miss this. This is a word that rocks Peter's world, but it also has the rudiments of a fresh revelation. Because even though he doesn't have the fullness of the revelation, it does prepare him to receive an invitation. For in that moment, there's a knock at the door. And at the door are three gentlemen gentlemen sent by a man named Cornelius. Now, I'm going to talk about Cornelius later on, but what you need to know right now is that Cornelius is a Gentile. And because he is a Gentile, I don't believe that Peter would have ever accepted his invitation if he did not have first a revelation. Stay with me. The reason why I believe that's true is because later on in the text, when Peter ends up at Cornelius' house, one of the first things he says is, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection, which suggests that something is happening within Peter because the things he thought it was impossible to do, Peter starts believing he can do, and places he thought it was impossible for him to go, Peter starts believing he can go. In other words, with God's help, Peter starts believing he can do the impossible. Okay, one of my favorite shows back in the day was entitled Mission Impossible. Some of y'all are old enough to remember it. That series in the 60s and the 70s, reprised by Tom Cruise in the 90s, and even in this century. But let me set it up for those of you who are unfamiliar. The main character of the show was always an agent. And through a confluence of events, the agent will receive a special invitation to go where other folk couldn't go, to do what other folk couldn't do. And that's why they called it a mission impossible. I thought about that when I read the text, about why they call it a mission impossible. I thought about that because in the text, Peter receives a special invitation to go to some places he didn't think it was possible to go or to do things he didn't think it was possible to do. And I said to myself, self, wouldn't it be cool so imagine if the people gathered here at Missio were agents. Come on, y'all, play with me for a while in the playground of my sanctified imagination. <laughs> because a Missio agent will be different from a covert agent who becomes so convoluted when they look at the calamity of this nation, an America that's supposed to be united but now remains divided, divided between the haves and the have-nots. The silver spoons and the and the no-spoons, the rich from the poor, the education from the none, the whites from the blacks, even the men from the woman, and the privilege from the oppressed. And a covert agent will attempt to go underground. But Myssio agents know that we can't afford to go underground. We've got to be out in the open because, in spite of her faults, the church is still God's chosen instrument to point this nation back to the very heart of God and the will of God, that we might be one as the Son and the Father are one. You remember that's the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. You know, we spend a lot of time asking Jesus to answer our prayers. What would happen if we spent a little bit of time trying to answer one of his? When we look and we learn not just to be multicultural, but intercultural, and engage in genuine, authentic relationships. Sanchez Beatty helped me with this on yesterday when he reminded me that God is no shorter than God's Word. Because Jesus says when we learn to be one, at least two things happen. He says, uh, Father, the world will know that you have sent me. And then secondly, the world will know that you love them and you love me. Meaning this, when we fulfill this mission, God will be glorified, the world will be edified, and the devil will be horrified. (laughs) Because God is no shorter than God's word. The enemy knows this, and he will do anything he has to do to discourage us, and sick the hounds of hell upon us, to make us believe that this can't happen. I'm bringing this up, because as sure as I'm preaching to you today, there will be days and the devil will try to discourage you. And folk will pature on you. <laughs> and make you think that fulfilling this mission is impossible. But I came as a prophet of God to let you know that if you choose to fulfill this mission, it may not come to fruition initially, but it will happen eventually. How do you know that, Montgomery? I'm glad you asked. And since I'm back, I'm in the Black Baptist Church, I might as well give you three points and I'll be out of your way. (laughs) Point number one is this, when we choose to fulfill this mission, we ought to bear in mind that God is always at work in the background. I started reading this text in verse nine, but I really could have started in verse one because that's where Cornelius is first mentioned. I already told you that Cornelius is a Gentile, but verse 3 tells us Cornelius also has a vision. One day about 3 in the afternoon, he, Cornelius, also has a vision. Y'all, this occurs the entire day before the scene shifts to Peter. Remember now, if Peter had not seen a vision, chances are he never would have connected with Cornelius. And likewise, if Cornelius had not seen a vision or heard a voice, he never would have sent for Peter. But, but there's about to be an intersection under the divine orchestration of an almighty God. Because when God sends us on mission, God always works in the background. But not only does God work in the background, but a missile agent believes that God can work with anybody. And I say that. Because as faithful as Cornelius is, he's also fallible. He's fallible because when this intersection finally occurs and he and Peter meet, the first thing he does is falls at Peter's feet and worships him. Peter says, get up, don't don't worship me, I'm only a man myself. And I must admit, Terabeth, I was trying to figure out what made corn fall on his face, worshiping Peter in the first place. I think the Holy Spirit started speaking back to me and said, Charles, what he's doing is he's engaging in premature praise. Y'all do know what premature praise is, don't you? Okay, premature praise is kind of like premature celebration. Crickets, okay. Um, uh, okay, y'all look, okay, let me do it this way. Um, 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 how can I get you to understand? Oh, yeah, um, all right, um, he, Missio Alliance. At this particular time, for whatever reason, overlapped with March Madness. <coughs> and by the end of the weekend, we all gonna know who made the final four. Bless his name. <coughs> and even though my, my Ohio stay buckeyes aren't there, I wasn't hating, I kept watching basketball anyway. I sat down on Thursday, looked at the University of Virginia because I figured if you can't cheer for the team you love, just cheer for the team you're with. I'm just saying. And uh, it just so happened that Virginia had a tight game. And at the end, in order to win, they had to go to the free throw line. Player steps to the free throw line, sinks the shots. People in the sports bar I was in began to celebrate. Watch this, even though there was time left on the clock. Because when UVA had enough points to win at that time, it didn't matter what the other team did, for UVA was about to win. People in the sports bar started celebrating, even though there was time left on the clock. Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's what premature praise is all about. That even though there's time left on the clock, that the God that we serve uh, at Calvary stepped to the free throw line. And even though there's a game that still needs to be played, you start praising God because in Christ, you know you have the victory. <laughs> Yo, that's what I think. Is going on in the text. Corn starts praising God when he sees Peter. And then don't get it twisted. He's not praising Peter, but he's praising for what Peter represents. Because remember now, Peter, based on this confession, has been given the keys to the kingdom. So, whatever he binds on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever he looses on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter has the secret to salvation, which suggests that it's not an isogenical stretch to suggest that Corn could have been celebrating because he was about to be saved. You see, I argue that if Corn were here today, he'd be able to speak to the pages of time. He'd be saying to Peter, I wasn't worshiping you, but I was worshiping because of what God was getting ready to do through you. In other words, I was praising God on credit. <laughs> and so I'll praise him now for what he's gonna do later. I know i got to move on, but is there anybody here before you get on the road? that you can take 30 seconds and say, I'm praising God now for what he's gonna do in my church. I'm praising God now for what he's gonna do in my ministry. I'm praising God for folk who are gonna be saved and that's how he's gonna be reclaimed. I'm praising him on credit. What I'm trying to get you to understand is God is working with Cornelius, but God is also working on Peter as well. Because in that moment, Peter came face to face with what some theologians call the Samaritan factor. As Brenda Salter McNeil says, all of us can be susceptible every now and again to the Samaritan factor. The Samaritan factor is kind of like this. It's when you know that a certain person is over there. And even though they're over there, you never take the time to have a personal interaction with them. Or better yet, it's when we know that certain neighborhoods exist but we never visit those neighborhoods. And by chance, if we know someone who lives in that neighborhood, they can come to our house, but we never go to their house. Because going to their house or through their neighborhood makes us feel unsafe. I'm just talking about the Samaritan factor. How about this one? When we see certain people groups or tribes over there, but we never take the time to hang out with them or get to know them because their customs and their culture makes us feel uncomfortable. That's what's happening in the text. The Spirit of God is forcing Peter to deal with his own prejudice. And hear me today, prejudice is rooted in ignorance. In fact, I don't have to tell you that we live during a time when ignorance is being displayed at an all-time high even at the highest levels. And the danger of ignorance is that it can lead to indifference. And indifference begets cruelty. And cruelty leads to death. And that death can be multiplied and justified until we forget that the crime even occurred in the first place. In fact, that's how a racist ideology can morph into public policy. But how many of you know in the kingdom of God, God's policies are different? God says, if I was hungry, did you feed me? If I was homeless, did you find me affordable housing and land? If I was sick, did you help me give me access to medicine? If I was a stranger, did you invite me in? In other words, God is always calling us to a higher ideal. That's why I love the fact that God doesn't leave Peter where he was to wallow in his own prejudice. Instead, he walks him right into a house full of Gentiles. And we already know that Peter can't eat certain foods. But y'all know God doesn't play fair. Because in the house full of Gentiles, y'all know there had to be some major cooking going on. I mean, can't you just see Mrs. Cornelius coming out to greet him with a pot of greens? <laughs> filled with ham hock and fat back and spare ribs and all of that? And I'm sure Peter tried to be polite. But listen, sometimes when you are in a place, and you're the only person who looks like you, it's hard to hide the fact that you're uncomfortable. So Peter says, look, I'm not even supposed to be here, let alone preach up in here. In fact, it's against the law. I hope you know that this is extremely uncomfortable. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes on a mission impossible, God will orchestrate your affairs and navigate your circumstances and take you into some uncomfortable places. But sometimes, These are the very places that God uses to unchain our thinking so that barriers can be broken and doors can be opened. See, that's why I'm happy that in spite of uncomfortability that Peter decides to open his mouth anyway. Because how many of you all know when you are obedient to God that God can help us to overcome our hesitations and our limitations so that the mission of God can be accomplished. In other words, when we go on a mission impossible, we discover that God works on our behalf. I don't have time to develop this like I want to, but suffice it to say this, Peter decides to open his mouth and preach the gospel. I think, to be honest, I didn't think it was his best sermon. I mean, when you look at the original Greek, the language appears to be a little lax. Remember, this is the same Peter who preached with such fervor and enthusiasm until Pentecostal fire fell from heaven. But here he was among the Gentiles, being genteel <laughs> and casual and cavalier. But here's what I love about God. In spite of Peter's pitiful attempt to preach the gospel, God showed up anyway. Because sometimes all it takes is one word. By that time I tell you how one word can change the optics of your circumstance, but that's another sermon. But what we need to know today is that Peter gives one word. And the Holy Spirit came and fell on everybody in the house. They began to speak in tongues like on the day of Pentecost. In fact, some people call this the the Gentile Pentecost, which causes Peter to have a realization. He says, now I realize that God shows no favoritism because the same Holy Spirit who is at work in us is at work in them. In other words, we are the this is probably the first time that Peter's ever said this in his life, but listen, not just in Peter's life. That's true for everybody who goes on the mission impossible. At some point, the Holy Spirit will prove in us that God sees no favoritism, and God says in his eyes, we are the same. For in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free male or female. For you, we are all in one in Christ Jesus. Do I have a witness in this place? See, the reason why I need to know if you believe that is because God's desire for missio agents is to believe. Believe what, preacher? Believe that God can use you. That he can use you plurally as missio alliance. For who else but missio alliance can align folk up across denominations for an awakening to occur? Who else but Missio Alliance can equip the church with fresh expressions of the fragrance of Jesus to be experienced throughout the world? Who else but you, plurally? But not just you, plurally, but also you, personally. I'm talking about you, whom God has orchestrated affairs and navigated circumstances to be here. You, who God has illuminated with all of these seminars and plenaries. You who God has equipped this week to impact the church for the sake of the world. You see, the fact of the matter is when you and I are changed, the entire world can be changed. Let me show you how it works. See, if you walk out of here a changed leader, the chances are you can change a house. And if you're a changed leader in a changed house, then you can have a changed neighborhood. And if you're a changed person the changed in a changed house is in a changed neighborhood, then you can have a changed city. And if you're a changed person that changed houses in the changed neighborhood that changes the city, then you can have a changed county. And if you're a changed person that changed counties in the changed neighborhood that changes the city, that changes the county, then you can have a changed district or a state. Y'all almost got it. And if you're a changed person that changed house, that's in the changed neighborhood that changes the city, who changes the county, ends up changing a state, then we can have a changed nation. And if you're a changed person that changed house, is in the changed neighborhood that changes the city, changes the county, ends up changing a state, that changes the nation, then we can have a changed world. And when you have a changed world that's changed by a country, that's changed by a state, that's changed by a county, that's changed by a city, that's changed by a neighborhood, who's changed by a home, then you know that some leader has been changed. I gotta go. And all I'm trying to tell you is that we have an opportunity to change the world. But what does it matter? Somebody said the doors of opportunity swing wide open and you're too drunk to even stagger through. What does it matter? If you've attended all these seminars and plenaries, you never apply it to your context, what does it matter? You heard this message by Beth talking about men and women be equal and you don't change anything in your church, what does it matter? So keep striving, keep believing. Don't let anybody else stop you. Know if your mind can conceive, but you can't achieve it. If you do your best, God will do the rest. And as you take these lessons you learned here at Missio and apply it to your church, do me a favor, remember, remember the first lessons they taught you in kindergarten. Whatever you want to do when you're being a mission impossible, take the A and accept your challenge. With the B, believe in yourself. With the C, combine your words with action. With the D, dedicate your life to your dreams. With the E, expect some hard times. With the F, fight on, be faithful and finish your course. Take the G and get God on your side. With the H, have a made up mind. Take that I and inspire somebody else. With the J, journey with Jesus by your side. Take that K and keep on keeping on. With the L, let love be the light to show the way. Take that M and make every day count. With the N, never say I can't. Take that O and overcome your obstacles. With the P, put your best foot forward. With the Q, quit quitting. With the R, run the race with patience. With the S, stand strong. With the T, trust the Lord. With the U, use your talents. With the V, value your time. With the W, work until your work is done. With the X, X x-ray your own lifestyle. With the Y, yearn to achieve all the goals you seek. And with the Z, zealously strive to reach your peak. God bless you.